0: to be praised
1: For the privilege that you have given to us, that we can have church tonight. There are places in the world, Lord, where it is impossible to have a gathering together. But we appreciate you, Lord, that at least we can come together, even though we're not many, and we can lift our voices to Thee. Help us not to take the privilege that you have given to us for granted that, Lord, this privilege that we can come into your house, we have the freedom to lift our hands, to worship you and to preach the gospel. Help us never to take this for granted, because what might be freedom today might be in bondage tomorrow. Lord, help us that we might survive this age. Give us strength and direction, we pray, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask a blessing on this service tonight. We pray for everyone tuning in with us here tonight that you will touch their minds and touch their spirits, Father. Those that are not well in their their bodies, we pray you'll give them a little touch tonight, Father. A healing touch in their minds, a healing touch in their spirits, and a healing touch in their bodies, Father. Help your people, we pray, and encourage their hearts. In Jesus' name, we ask these mercies. Amen Amen and amen. Tonight, I would like to get us all started in preparation for Passover weekend when we would partake of the, the emblems that represent the body and blood of Jesus. And I say emblems because we would probably use some grape juice non-alcoholic drink. We'd use grape juice. Um, Some people prefer to use wine, real wine. That's fine. And we would take unleavened bread. That is, the Chandri would be making bread that is not made with leaven. And these are all just emblems. I know some religious groups have uh, declared that when you pray over the the wine, it becomes the literal blood of Jesus. That doctrine is called transubstantiation. We don't believe in that. We believe they are uh, still emblems. And uh, for us children of God, it is important that we understand these things. Uh, we have a Bible that has a lot of mysteries inside and symbols, and we like to understand these things when it tells us a symbol. Uh, to not literalize the symbols. Uh, Over in Matthew's gospel, uh, the disciples uh, came to Jesus and um, uh, last weekend we touched on the 12th chapter of Matthew a little bit and one of these days, and I use that word one of these days when the Lord lead us back into that, I'll go back and clarify some issues uh, regarding Jonah and the whale, and uh, being swallowed up. And one of the things I want you to understand is that there is absolutely no way I can be 100% correct where all doctrines are concerned. We're teaching with the best of our ability, and that is why I use the word speculate a lot of times. And I say that to myself, that I'm not 100% accurate in everything. I don't know everything. You might ask me a question one day, and if I don't know the answer, I tell you I don't know. Uh, Simple, I don't know. But God plans to help the church to come to the understanding that all the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven uh, regarding the church we should understand. Here in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 13... Uh, the disciples uh, had listened, listened to Jesus explaining the parable of the sower that went out to sow and some seed fell on a uh, wayside, some seeds, uh, some of the seeds fell on the wayside, some fell on stony places, some fell among thorns and some fell on good ground. Um, through my zeal and enthusiasm, and I believe inspiration. I've added a fourth type of soil. The, uh, sorry, the fifth type of soil. Not that it is a fifth type of soil, but it's a fifth category. In that any one of the of the four types you read here, uh, whether it's uh, wayside, uh, stony ground, thorny ground, or good ground, any one of these can fall into the fifth category. That is, if you miss church you're missing uh, the message and you're not getting the seed sown on your heart. So whether you're good ground or you're stony ground or you're thorny ground or your wayside, when you miss, when you abs- you're absent from church, uh, you, you, you would not receive that. And I don't know what else I could say to people to encourage them to attend church. Church is very important. See, I'm talking to you tonight, and I believe the Lord is here. I'm not the Lord, but I believe the Lord is here. Now, if the Prime Minister was here, he might have a bigger congregation. If a movie star comes out, people would show up. When a famous player comes into the Dome Stadium, thousands of people flock to see a person that will die and be lost eternally. But when a man of God or the presence of God wants to come, and I really believe that Jesus is here, if you had the privilege of coming to church tonight and you want to tell me you believe Jesus is here, I'll tell you up front, you're a liar. You don't really believe. If you believe Jesus is here, you will make arrangement to come. You will not find an excuse not to, you'll make an arrangement to come. These are things that we must examine ourselves. And so while we are preaching the gospel, I might have a fellow minister that does not see eye to eye with me. And if his life is right and he's living for God, that's enough for me. Uh, If he is not blatant and angry and promoting sin and call it scripture, any man that promotes sin and call it scripture is not called of God, he's used of the devil. A false doctrine have its origin from the devil. And when false doctrine involve a lifestyle or influence an ungodly lifestyle, that false doctrine comes from the devil. And so we must understand these things. And yet at the same time, a man that might come on into the church, that's a Hindu. He might be Hindu all his life and come on into the church I would never hate anyone that comes on into the church. As a matter of fact, I might meet a a Hindu or a Muslim. I might meet an atheist on the street. I love men. I love women. I love men. I love mankind. I hate sin. I hate false religion. I hate paganism. I hate heathenism. But the people that are caught in that... I would like to give them a fighting chance to accept Christ as their savior. And so the disciples came to Jesus here after he explained the parable. And uh, he made a statement like this. And this is very important. Because he says, and they that fell on good ground, verse 8, they brought forth fruit, some yielding one hundredfold. Uh, That is, that's a great amount. Some yielding sixtyfold, and some 30-fold. Uh, when you look at this, uh, you wonder uh, how how effective can the Word of God be in someone's life. Well, it can be very effective in that it can yield 100-fold. That is 100% accomplishment. Or it can go 60% and fails in 40%, and that's fine also. Or third-fold, uh, and someone tried to explain this and says, if we want, we can speculate that a hundredfold puts you in the Bride of Christ, sixtyfold puts you in the second phase of the first resurrection, and thirtyfold puts you in the kingdom of God, like the Queen of the South and everyone else, that missed a real excellent mark, the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, but made it into the kingdom, and they're there receiving 30 fold. Every one of these promises are great. Now, that's a speculation. And then Jesus went on and he makes a statement like this all the time. He says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> that is, uh, it's not everything Jesus said is simply understood by mankind. I do not believe in taking the gospel and spreading it wild all over the place. Jesus didn't do that. He went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when they refused, then he sent his disciples to the elect. on, uh, on uh, Not Jew, but the, the Gentile elect that God had called. And so he made a statement here. And the disciples said to him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not. In other words, it is God's desire that his children, his people, his church, understand mysteries of the kingdom. There's all kinds of mysteries in the, of the kingdom. Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. Uh, it's, uh, they have all kinds of mystery of iniquity that already work. Uh, the mystery of the kingdom. We need to understand some of these mysteries. And so when we're looking at our Bible, and tonight uh, we said about the emblems, the bread and the wine. One representing the body of Christ. And the other, the blood of Christ. Now I know there are individuals that believe the blood of Jesus is still flowing around. No, it's not. He shed his blood 2,000 years ago to pay a price. And that blood is not flowing around on the earth, all over the place. Uh, The job that was done by the blood is accomplished. He became the sacrifice to save you and I. Over in the epistle of uh, Paul to the Galatians, the very first chapter of Galatians, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia that were already backsliding and turning away from God. These four churches of Galatia were not serving the Lord anymore. They were drifting away. That Paul was just gone. This was just AD 50. And uh, these people were already drifting away into apostasy. Apostasy, the spirit of apostasy, the possibility of apostasy lies within every church. Uh, The spirit of iniquity uh, is possible that it lies in the hearts of individuals that wants to go contrary to God. And it is easy for iniquity or apostasy to transpire in our midst. As we look at some of these things, and Paul writes here and he says, uh, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And this is so important that we understand that God raised Jesus, not when he was walking around in the ground somewhere. No, he was dead. The resurrection is of the dead, not of the living. You don't resurrect the living. You resurrect the dead. Uh, The dead spiritually can be resurrected. The dead literally must be resurrected. And so, it goes on here, he says... Grace be, uh, grace be to you and peace from God, our the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who give himself. And that is what we'll be remembering next weekend. Not this weekend, but the following weekend. Uh, Jesus, when he had communion with his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial time. Uh, we are doing this once a year as a memorial. You know, did you have someone that passed away sometime in your life? And on the death of their, of their the anniversary of their death, you say, well, well, this year we'll have a memorial service. You can't have the memorial service in January if the person died in July. Uh, the best time for a memorial is during the time that they passed away, Right? in Canada and America and America especially they have memorial day uh, celebrations where they remember the dead and you know the soldiers that died and things like that well uh, Paul is writing here he said Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age or world according to the will of God the Father the reason why the father sent his son, and this is very important for you to listen to me and understand that tonight. The reason why we remember the death of Christ and we understand these things is that the Father sent him to die, first of all, to save us from our sins and then to save us from this evil world that we are living in. If you're only saved from your sins but you're entrapped or you're trapped, or you're enslaved to this evil world, you're not fulfilling the will of God. The will of God, as we look at it here in verse 4 of uh, Galatians chapter 1, God gives His, him, uh, Jesus gave Himself for our sins, that is, He died for our sins. Uh, they, they, when we come to Him and we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, everybody, every one of us needs cleansing from our sins. We are shapen in sin. And we are shapen in iniquity and in sin did our moms conceive us. All are born in sin. Uh, all It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so when God sent his son, the first part of his reason for coming is to get us fallen, depraved, sinful mankind saved from our sins. So it means that one day you have to come and say, Father, I'm so sorry that I sinned. Uh, I was born this way, but I'm a sinner. Could you save me? Could you forgive me of all my sins which your past? Because that's why Jesus died, to save me. He's the sacrifice. Could you please, Father, save me? You see, if you have not done that, you might still be unconverted going to church and singing hymns and dancing in the assembly. You have to do that. You have to ask God to cleanse you from your sins, which uh, are past. There must be a conversion process that starts when you ask God to cleanse you from your sins. And when that is done, now that you're saved, praise the Lord. We used to sing a song in Guyana years ago that says, The, plate, the things I used to do, I will do them no more. And then you go to places I used to go, I will go there no more. You see, salvation changes your whole perspective for, for, for life. Uh, you were a child of darkness and the Lord saved you from your sin. And now you become a child of light. You have to walk in light as God is in light. But this world is in darkness. And that is what John meant um, I'm holding my finger in Galatians, and I'm going to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, very popular scripture, scriptures that preachers, every preacher knows. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, don't we all know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that it's easy to recite it. Well, let's look at it a little careful tonight. For God so loved the world, Don't tell me God doesn't love you. Don't tell me because there is disaster God don't care. The greatest sacrifices of all time was made when God sent his son. Who created the world but was made into a human form to die for the world. No one has ever paid the price like Jesus did. No one has ever given a gift like the father did when he gave his son. And so it says, For God so so loved the world that he gave his only, his only begotten son, that whosoever, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Muslim, whether you're atheist, whether you belong to some strange Asian religion or something like that, whether you're a nominal Christian that never got saved to begin with, he gave his son that whosoever Believe it on him. That includes the fornicator. That includes the pagan man. That includes the homosexual. That includes everyone that's on this earth that's a sinner. Whosoever believe it on him should not perish under the judgment of God, but have everlasting life. When God judges a nation and a flood comes in and wipes out the nation, don't say God is not merciful. No, uh, God gives a nation a chance to hear the gospel. But man decides he wants to continue in sin. His heart is set to do evil continuously. And so tonight we want to understand the purpose of God sending his son. First of all, before we go any further. And it says, they should not par- perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that something? God take a depraved man, from a, a beggar from the dunghill and make him... A prince with God. Uh, This is so wonderful. It says, For God sent not his son into this world to condemn the world. Now remember, Galatians chapter 1. Remember, to save us from our sins and this present evil world, right? Well, when God sent his son into the world, he didn't just come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned before Jesus came. It says, he came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be given a chance to be saved. People that are a part of the world, you and I, your unsaved relative, that man down the street. And that is why, as a child of God, you need to stop being prejudiced when it comes to loving people. You need to stop being prejudiced when it comes to criticizing religions and denominations. If you ha- understand the love of God that God has shown towards you who were worthy of death, uh, you re- reflect the grace of God to other individuals around you. Now it's not time to hate people. Now it's time to love the unlovable. Don't love only those who love you. What reward would you have, Jesus said, if you only love the people that love you? Love the ones that hate you. Bless. And curse not. Love the one that's rejected and despised. That's right. See somebody in the street that look destitute and they stink and they're rotten and they're standing there and begging for money. And when you walk across, don't be that self-righteous Pharisee that will look at that person and say, I oh, don't want to touch him. You need the salvation of God in your life because God died to take the beggar from the dunghill and make a prince out of him. Amen. Had it not been for the love of God, I would not be sitting here talking to you. And then it went on here. He says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his son to save the world and that includes you and I. And you and I that are saved from the world must not only live in the world and be a part of the world, like literally and spiritually, we are a part of the world, but we must not be of the world. And that is what we need to understand. I've got your finger in John chapter 3, and I've got your finger in where? In Galatians chapter 1. Go to John 17. But John 17 is a prayer that Jesus made. Somebody says, Uh, Say the the Lord's Prayer I don't know why they call it the Lord's Prayer It's a pattern prayer But it's not the Lord's Prayer The Lord's Prayer in John 17 This is where Jesus really prayed When the disciples came one day And says Lord teach us to pray He says okay when you're praying Use this pattern Our Father which art in heaven Hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth As it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as, isn't that something? Forgive me as I forgive the people that I need to forgive. I can't forgive you. God would not forgive me. Straight old. Forgive me as I forgive people that trespass against me. And so here in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he used the word world in chapter 17 of John. He says, Father, verse 4, 5, he says, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee, uh, which I had with thee before the world was. And he's using the word world. Remember the word world because Jesus died Uh, To save us from our sins and from this present evil world. Uh, So sins getting forgiven is one thing. uh, Getting freed from the contaminating influences of the world is necessary. You can be a child of God going to church all your life. But the world has a pull on you. You need to get yourself free. And so we're looking at time here tonight. And he went on here. He used the word world. Verse 6. He used the word world in the middle of that sentence. He says, thou givest me them, uh, I manifested the name unto the men which thou givest me out of the world. The men, the disciples of Christ were out of the world, right? He goes on here in verse uh, 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I'm praying here today, Father, for the men that you give me. And you know, when you see Jesus praying, all the time he's praying, what is he praying for? His sins? He never sinned. He's praying for your sin and my sin. He's the mediator between God and man. He's the mediator for us in the presence of God. He prayed for us. He says, I pray uh, for them. I pray not for the world. Verse 11. And now, Father, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep. Through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, he says, I have kept them in thy name, verse 13. And now I come, and now come I to thee and speak these things in the world, that they might be, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And then verse 14 He says here, I've given them thy word, and the ungodly world does not like them. You see, if the world loves you, and uh, you're sinning, and they're sinning, and you're enjoying yourself, and you know I'm a Christian, I go to church, but you know on the weekend I have a a cold one with the boys after church, uh, after work on Friday evening, Uh, you're a hypocrite. Don't go have a cold one with the ungodly people, you're a hypocrite if you do. Uh, Jesus died to save you from that ungodly element that you hobnob with. He died to save us from the world. We're heading into, into Passover weekend and we're wondering why he died. He died to save us from the world. And he says, Father, I've given them thy word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he was not of the world. Who hated him? The religious people that were a part of the world. Israel, when Jesus came, was a part of the ungodly world. They that sat in darkness saw a great light. Isaiah writes like this, Who had believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, Jesus, shall grow up before God the Father as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Dry ground means there's no real spirit of God there. Israel was educated but apostate. Israel could memorize the scripture but they did not have the word of God. Jesus told him that. He says you search the scriptures daily. But they testify of me, he says, you have not his word abiding in you. So you can memorize the Bible and don't have the word of God. That is why when you think you know it all, go back and examine yourself. You might not know a single thing. You might memorize the whole Bible and still did not know a single thing. You can have a million copies of the Bible and still don't have the word of God. Because the word of God is quick. And it's alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, uh, Jesus went on, he says, I pray that thou shouldest not take them literally out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil that's in the world. You understand? You understand what he's saying? He says, Father, I'm praying for these. Uh, They're in the world, the ungodly world, among the religious ungodly and the ungodly ungodly. He said, they're there. I don't pray that you take them, zoop, into some yoga temple somewhere in the Himalayas. He says, no, keep them down here. Father, leave them in the world, but keep them from the evil that's in the world. And that's why Jesus died. That while we are living in this world, he might save us from our sins... And step number one, save us from our sins. Step number two, keep us from the evil that's around us. Keep us from that pornography. Keep us from that worldly design. Keep us from that ungodly show. Keep us from the ungodly element, from family ungodliness and ungodly attitudes around us. We are here to serve God. Chosen to serve him. That's what it's all about. So when Jesus prayed, he prayed for you. And he prayed for me. It goes on to say that. He says, um, they're not of the world, uh, even as I am not of the world. Jesus was not of this world. Did Jesus go and join the Pharisee? When Jesus stood up to preach, did he go and get a book that Gamaliel wrote? Did Jesus go and study it at the foot of some honest high priest and Caiaphas? He's not like us. Jesus was sanctified. Jesus separated himself from the apostate religion in his time. That is why his own brothers did not like him. And you and I today must understand that as we head towards Passover weekend and remember his death. Don't only remember his death and drink some wine and eat some bread. Live for God. That's important. Eat Christ on a daily basis. Eat of his word on a daily basis. Drink of his spirit on a daily basis. Goes on here in verse 18. He says, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He says, um, he says, even as thou hast sent me into the world, even so send I them into the world. Isn't this wonderful that every one of those apostles that Jesus sent, he sent them. They didn't send themselves. An organization didn't send them. Grandma did not send them. Or Bishop so and so did not send them. Jesus sent them. And when God the Father sends a person out. That person could be an apostle. Do you understand that? That person could be an apostle. That God sends out. It says. uh, As I have sent them. As you have sent me. Into the world. Even so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctified myself. Why did Jesus, what did Jesus do when he came on this earth? Well, he gathered his disciples and they sang the chorus. I don't care what church you belong to. No, he didn't do that. He says to his disciples in Matthew, the 16th chapter, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Jesus sanctified himself from apostate religion in his time. And you and I, Jesus died that you and I might be sanctified from apostate religion in our time. And from evil in our time. Now, Brother Saint, we are sanctified. He called me out of Babylon and I'm in the body of Christ. Listen, calling you out of Babylon is a statement. But calling out of Babylon is a statement. Are you really out? He said, I'd sanctify them. He says, keep them from the world. And he goes on in John 17. And I don't want to spend all night on that scripture. But I'm coming back here to John chapter 3. He says, uh, verse 18. He says, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. So the unbeliever is already condemned. And when Jesus came, he came to save the condemned. Jesus died to save you, the condemned. And me, the condemned. And there is therefore now no condemnation. When we get into Jesus and walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He came to save the condemned to have us walk, not after the flesh anymore, not after the world anymore, but to be sanctified from the world. That's why he came. He came to sanctify you, my friend. You and I are to be sanctified from apostate religion, from uh, 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 systems that belong to this world. He came to save us from all of that. It says... He says, and this is the condemnation, verse 19. Light, that's Jesus. Light is come into the world. That's when he came uh, 2,000 years ago. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now, this light that is has come into the world is truth that uh, Jesus said about John. He says, John was a bright and shining light, and you were willing for a season to abide in that light. He says, I have greater light. Where were the Pharisees? In darkness. Where were the Sadducees? In darkness. Where were the Essenes? In darkness. John was the light. He looked funny. He didn't dress like a priest. He was trained in the wilderness. He was the light. Jesus says, I have greater light than that of John. And you and I today must understand that apostate religion out here is in darkness. And when you and I, in the body of Christ, we decide we want to hobnob with the spirit of the world, then the effort that the death of Christ is in futility. You don't have to leave the church to depart from truth. You can sit in the sanctuary and be mixed up with pagan ideas and customs and whatever, and be. Sang- and be mixed up and meddling with, with the ungodly element. He said, The world was condemned already. For everyone that doeth evil, hated the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deed be manifest. But he that doeth truth, cometh to the light. A beautiful scripture, John 3, and verse um, and verse um, uh, 21. And so back here, we were in Galatians, when Paul writes, and he says, Who gave himself our sins, Verse 4, chapter 1. That he might deliver us from our sins, that is, and from this present evil world. And so when we think of what Jesus is doing, he died to save us from this present evil world. And when we come to the concept of remembering his death, it would be a sad thing if we remember his death. But we are not saved from this present evil world. Now, here's the subtlety of it all. As we we've got fifteen minutes, can you go with me? Uh, fifteen minutes to go. Uh, Revelation is a book of symbols, and when Jesus said, "It is given unto you in John and Matthew 13 to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven," but to them it is not given. God wants us to understand some mysteries. Now, when I look at the book of Revelation, and we'll talk about this as we get into the weekend. Uh, here in the book of Revelation, it's a book of symbols. Revelation is a book of symbols. All right? And chapter 1 reads like this. Chapter 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. That is in Asia Minor. Grace unto you and peace from God the Father. That's him. That's the Father. And which is and which was and which is to come. That is an eternal God. He could have said it like this. Grace and peace be you unto you from the eternal God. That is God the Father. And, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits. Now God does not have only one Holy Spirit. God has seven spirits. And John is seeing that. So greetings from God the Father and from these seven spirits of God. The Holy Spirit is one of the seven spirits of God. The Holy Spirit is given to us in this age. But God has seven spirits standing before his throne. And then he says, And which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, that is his son, who is the faithful witness, and the firstborn, first begotten of the dead. So here we're looking, as we enter into the book of Revelation, there are symbols, there are terminologies. And so in chapter 1 itself, there are terminologies. And John is hearing a statement. He hears a voice saying in verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega. Uh, They said Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. And Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So Jesus said, I am Alpha. He's the first one that God created. And he's the last one that God created. In In the literal creation, And then in the resurrection, he's the first begotten from the dead and the last one that God the Father ever uh, resurrected. When the Father made the Son, the Son created the worlds. When the Father resurrected the Son, the Son will resurrect the the rest of the dead. And then it comes down here and there's some symbols. In chapter 1, it talks about seven golden candlesticks in verse 12. And it talks about in his right hand in verse 16, seven stars. Now, we're looking at symbols, right? And we've just got 10 minutes to look at some of these things lightly as we pass. Seven golden candlesticks and seven stars. Now, what are the seven golden candlesticks? Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, uh, which thou sawest in his right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. Uh, The seven stars are the angel of the seven churches of Asia Minor. The angels of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the seven candlesticks which thou say are the seven churches. A church like this church in Mississauga ought to be a light in this community. It ought to be a candlestick. It's so good to see Winston here. But he's not here because we invited him. He just saw the church and came. It would be nice if we can start inviting people. We're not here to just make ourselves feel happy, and you know, we come on in and the band plays some music and we just I preach to you and you testify to me and we shine light one to the other. We're the salt of the earth that is still in the salt shaker. You ever go to a restaurant and they have two jars, one little salt and one pepper? Salt and pepper? Won't that be something if you, your food is needing salt and you look at the salt and say, salt it, salt it. No, you got to take the shaker and shake it out. We're the salt of the earth that is still in the shaker. We need to get the salt into the community. You need to tell the people that you meet at a grocery store that you're a Christian you can invite them to church. And I don't like you, man. Well, that's okay. But I love you. That's good too. Not everybody would like you. But we are, have a responsibility. We ought to be a candlestick in the community. And the angels, the five, seven stars are the angels, the preachers, the messenger. The word messenger is translated angel. Angel are the messengers of the seven churches. And as you go through Revelation, you'll be seeing symbols... And tonight I know where we will end up, uh, at two symbols that we must look at further. And so we look at chapter 1, and it tells us about uh, candlesticks and stars. And in chapter 2, it tells us here, a very strange situation here, uh, to the church of Tyre in verse 18. Uh, The Lord says, I know your works in verse 19, and your charity, and your service, and your faith, and your patience, and your works. It looked like works is repeated twice And the last to be more than the first Notwithstanding I have a few things against thee Now this church uh, God had a few things against this church Because they suffer a woman named Jezebel Which called herself a prophetess To teach and to seduce my servants To commit fornication And to eat things sacrificed to idols Now I don't know Uh, People might have all kinds of interpretation, and that's what I tell you over and over. People can interpret whatever they want. I would like to think this is a spiritual significance because the candlestick is not a candlestick. Uh, The star is not a star. I think this here is talking about a spirit of fornication that's in the church. Fornication, and we learn about that a little bit more on Saturday, we'll study a little bit more about spiritual fornication. Spiritual fornication is worse than literal fornication. You know, somebody go commit literal fornication, you catch them red and you got you. But a spiritual fornicator is a man that stands there, just like me, sits there in a pulpit with a necktie on. And you think you're getting a wonderful message, but I got it from the whore of Revelation 17. I'm brainwashed from an apostate system... ...and I commit spiritual fornication... ...when you're not even seeing. When I've got to go read... ...Harmeneas' works... ...and Philetus' works... ...and Hananiah works... ...and Shemiah's work... ...and every false prophet works out there... ...and read that and bring that secretly... ...and put it on you... ...I'm a fornicator. The woman, the spirit of Jezebel... ...can be in a church... And when the spirit of Jezebel is within a church, and we're talking about symbols here, when the spirit of Jezebel is in the church, before you know it, you are bringing idols into the church. It might be literal or spiritual. You wouldn't bring a Buddha and put it in the church, or Confucius and put it in the church. It would not be something if you come and find Confucius, big statue sitting out there with a pot belly and some oranges and banana in front of him. We wouldn't do that, would we? No, we wouldn't do that. Or when you come in there, there's a Madonna, Mary and her baby standing in the front corridor. No, we would not do that. But listen, you don't have to do that. You can do it in your heart. And before you know it, when the spirit of adultery is working in Terra, Tyatara, this spirit of adultery communicated to the men. The servants, the preachers in that assembly. And so they were contaminated by the spirit of spiritual fornication. And before you know it, they were putting up little idols that people worship idols. Idolatry is subtle today. And may God help us because Jesus came to die to save us from our sins and the subtlety that exists in the world. Are you following me? All right, let's move on now. So that's entire Tyra. And then he goes on here in in Revelation. There is something he said in chapter 3 in verse 12. He's writing to the church of Philadelphia. And he says, he that overcome it. Will I make a pillar? So please don't overcome because God is going to make your post. No, it is a spiritual symbol. Now God is not going to make you a natural pose. Wouldn't that be something? I'm serving the Lord all these years, and the Lord says, hocus pocus, and I become a column. I don't care if it's gold column or silver column. I don't want to be a column. But a pillar means one that holds the work of God up. Nobody can budge you. When you can be budged, you're a fickle, vacillating individual. You can't be a column. God would like to raise up individuals that has, know what they believe in and has faith in God and strength and stability, spiritual stability. And that is why we are tried every day to develop spiritual stability, and God's people like to run from the trial. Every trial that comes your way is, de- is to develop spiritual stability, and some of us would like to run from it rather than say, God, bust me in. Whatever you want, I'm done at the altar. All to Jesus I surrender. Well, not really all, Lord, just some. Some to Jesus, huh? No, I need to surrender all to Him. If any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So when we come, when we understand, you see what we're shooting for? We're shooting for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're shooting for that mark that these are they that follow the Lamb. In the Father's, the Father's name was written in their forehead, in their mouth is found no guile. Are uh, we're coming back to this and, and Saturday. In their mouth is found no God, they are without fault before the throne of God. It's they don't have guile in their mouth; they're without fault. They're not contaminated with contaminating, contaminated with the women, uh, with the harlotry system of this world, with the prophetess, the Jezebels, and the spirit of Jezebels in this world. They're free; uh, they're not defiled by women. Uh, we'll talk more about this on the weekend. But these symbols that you're looking in Revelation uh, leads us to this one here. If you overcome, God will make you a pillar. Listen to this, how beautiful this scripture is. Listen to it carefully. Jesus is speaking. And he said, "He that o- him that overcome it will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Jesus has a God. He says... And he shall go no more out, but I will write upon him the name of my God. Jesus is still speaking. It says, and the name of the city of my God. So he'll be a part of that city. That John saw coming down uh, from heaven. Remember that song I was singing earlier to you all before church started? It says, um, I, if, in, if there's a... Um, Can I can't even remember the song Uh, Maybe that's good because it's time Time is running out on me It says "And the name of the city of my God Which is New Jerusalem Which cometh down out of heaven from my God Uh, You'd be a pillar when you overcome And as you go down here And you look at all of these things In chapter 5 It describes a book In the right hand of God uh, Here a book And no man is able to open this book And John cried And then when he cried, uh, one of the angels come and said, one of the elders came and said to him in verse 5, weep not, for behold the lion, the lion. Well, there's going to be a lion. Well, Jesus is called a lion, but he doesn't roar like a real lion, you know. He's not going to bite you. He's called a lion, and he's called the root of David. Is he going to become a part of a tree root? No. These are all descriptions of Jesus. And then it says here, It says, Behold, and lo in the midst, he says, But weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath revealed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo in the midst of the throne and in the midst of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Was Jesus a sheep? No, these are all symbols that we're looking. And as we go over this weekend, I like to take it a symbol Uh, of showing you that there is a beast coming out of an ocean and the ocean is not an ocean but the ocean, the many waters which thou sawest are peoples and nations and multitudes that the waters is the humanity ungodly humanity that a beastly system is coming out of a civil government is described as a beast now I'm a very faithful guy when it comes to government I, when they, before the pandemic I looked at Premier Ford, and I never liked that man. Before the pandemic, he had such a strong attitude like he didn't want to have mercy on anybody. But you know, during the pandemic, he is going to be one of my favorite guys on television. When I watch the news and I watch his sad face and he says, folks, it's just for your safety. I love the man. You know, I'm going to love the man because he's taking the burden. But if he comes one day and stands in there and says stop preaching against sin. Sorry sir we can't do that. We preach the word of God. I'm here to please God not the civil government. I try not to disobey the law of the land. or to I pay my taxes. I try to follow the principles. But when it comes to preaching the word of God. I listen to the one up there. Not to the ones down here. So we look at the beast as civil government. But beyond that. On Saturday, we look at two women in this book of Revelation. One is a woman in chapter 12, clothed with the sun and had a moon standing on the moon, which I believe is the church. And the other is in chapter 17, which talks about a woman riding upon the beast, having a cup in her hand, which is called the filthiness of her fornication. And I hope. By the time we come to the ending of Saturday, Saturday morning service, that I'll be able to explain to you that many of us are taking sips out of our hand, out of the filthiness of our fornication, because it doesn't look so bad. The wine sparkles and the doctrine sparkles and apostasy sparkles, and we drink of that. And I'll show you before the weekend is out that there's not only two women. One representing God and one representing false religion. But there are two cups. One is the cup of the Lord that we must drink of not only at communion time. But every day we must drink of Jesus. Every single day of our lives we must drink of Jesus. And we must avoid the cup of the devil. Sadly, in our day, more of us drink of the cup of the devil than we drink of the cup of the Lord. May God help us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this night uh, that we can uh, once again look at some of your word. Oh, Father, please help us and direct us. Guide us, we pray. Help us as we reflect upon the goodness, your goodness, Father, and why Jesus came. And to understand a salvation and what it means to us. And understand the world and the evil that's in the world. Father, please sanctify us during this period of time. A little more sanctification, Father, in our lives from the world, this present evil world. Save us from our sins and from this present evil world, Father, in Jesus' name we thank you for tonight. Amen and amen.